Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Olivia Landau, to our show today. Olivia is the founder and CEO of The Clear Cut, a digitally native natural diamond brand that's revolutionizing the diamond industry. Although growing up in a family of jewelers, Olivia never thought she'd be in the business, and if anything, her family discouraged her to get a job in the industry. After a few years of being lost and confused about what career she wanted to pursue, she decided to go to the Gemological Institute of America, and from there, her path took a massive turn. She fell in love with jewelry and worked for companies like Tiffany & Co. and The Real Real, and it was there that she realized there was another opportunity to connect with consumers in a completely different way. Olivia founded The Clear Cut to empower the next generation to design and create perfect handcrafted diamond rings. In our episode today, we talk about the step-by-step approach Olivia took to turn her educational blog at the time into business and how she developed the confidence to ultimately quit her job and go all in. We also talk about how she built her business by being super scrappy and doing things that are unscalable, which is so important, especially when you're starting out. We also talk to Olivia about their social media strategy and how how they've connected with their audience and celebrities to create awareness with their brand. Olivia also opens up about going against her family wishes of starting her business with her husband and the major pushback they had along the way and so much more. Welcome to the show, Olivia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I really admire everything that you've built with ClearCut, and I have a million questions. So we're going to just jump right into it. And I'd actually love to start talking about perfectionism. You've been very open that you used to be a perfectionist. So when did you realize it was holding you back? And what are some of the things you implemented that helped you overcome your perfectionist qualities? I think when we first started our business, we like it first started as a side hustle. And then we got into a tech accelerator here in New York called Techstars. And that's where I really learned that don't let perfect be the enemy of better. And that's when I really took a step back and I was like, okay, I could wait for everything to be perfect before I launch or test or post something, but then I'll never really be able to learn from the post or the launch or anything like that. So I always say if you're not embarrassed by your launch, you waited too long. So now I'm a big believer in, you know, throwing something out there, getting feedback, continuing to iterate, get better and better and better. Because otherwise, that feeling of needing everything to be perfect before you present it out into the world can hold you back and like kind of scare you from making that first move, which is the most important step. I love this so much. And, you know, one phrase that you mentioned, it really helped me, especially when I was launching my business a few years ago, is if you're not embarrassed about what you're putting out there, then you waited too long. Someone told me that. And I was like, light bulb moment. It's true. Like even stuff that I'm doing now, I look back to last week and I'm like, I'm embarrassed. Like, what did I say? What was that? Like, so it's just a, a good muscle to practice. And I'm curious, you know, it's so much easier said than done, but when did you become more comfortable kind of putting yourself out there? Does it get easier? Is it just a function of time? Like, how is your evolution of it? I think it gets easier the more and more you do it over time, because you see that it's not the end of the world. When you put something out there, you see how people receive it. And you learn how you can always get better and better every single day. So I think by continuing to do that practice and implement it, that makes you feel more comfortable, like, taking those steps or taking those risks. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you guys do a ton of content. So I always love social media because it's like a quick way to put something out there, get outside your comfort zone and just, you know, not wait for it to be perfect. And sometimes you don't realize some of the things that you might not think would hit is like the most viral piece of content you could put out. Have you ever felt that before? 
Oh, definitely. Like sometimes I'll just like throw something up like that I did quickly. And I'm like, Oh my God, I had no idea that was going to go viral or have such an impact. And then you can like tailor and make something so, so perfect and think about it. And it doesn't really hit. And I think that really translates now with the evolution of social media. When we first started, you know, it was like kind of mid early days of Instagram where like everything had to be like super edited, super like stage, everything was very aspirational. And now with the evolution with TikTok, especially people are looking more and more for that authenticity, something that feels like more realistic, more tangible. So that is even more pushed to just put something out there as is more raw, unedited, because that is what people are gravitating towards more. I love it. So if you're listening right now and you're listening to Olivia, please just go for it. Put yourself out there. We're not perfect. And it only gets easier in the matter of time. And you never know what will hit. So now I want to kind of go back into your story. You know, you're a fourth generation jeweler, but your path wasn't really linear and you actually didn't ever think you'd go into the industry and your parents or your family really discouraged you too. So can you tell me more about your career path and really how you ultimately ended up in jewelry when you didn't even think that would be the case? Right. So yeah, I grew up in around the industry. My dad's side of the family were come from four generations of diamond dealers and cutters. My dad's from Antwerp, Belgium. My mom is from Taiwan, and they had their own antique jewelry business together. So I grew up around it. But they always told me that the diamond business, like it was a dying business, the jewelry industry was hard, like, I'm first generation American, they really wanted they put an emphasis on education, wanting me to have that like corporate job. And so they were like, we only do this because like, this is like what we know how to do, like we didn't go to college or anything. So I never thought I would get into it. But once I graduated from college, I went to NYU, and I majored in media communications. And I wanted to work in like print journalism. Well, when I was graduating, there weren't a lot of jobs in print journalism, and that was kind of dying. So I decided to extend schooling a bit. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was like, hey, maybe I'll go to GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America. I knew about it because my family was in the industry. And I was like, I'll become a graduate gemologist. And, you know, maybe I will get into corporate at like a big jewelry house or something like that. So that'll be like my corporate route. But I enrolled and I really fell in love with diamonds and gemstones. I guess it was like just in my blood all along. And I liked working with the jewelry. While I was there, I also met my now husband and co-founder. So it was just like an overall great experience. But my first job while I was in GIA school, I was working at Tiffany on the engagement floor. And that's where I really became passionate about like bridal jewelry, diamond engagement rings, working with couples. Like during that time, I wanted to get a little bit more hands-on. So I transitioned to work at a large diamond wholesale company here in like New York in the diamond district. At the same time, my now husband co-founder, he we were long distance, he left New York, he was living in West Africa at the time, he was working at a fair trade diamond mining company. And that closed down during the Ebola epidemic. So he came back to New York and went to business school. And a lot of his friends knew he had ties to the industry. And they were like, Hey, do you know a guy that can help get me a good deal on a ring? And since I was working in wholesale, I was just like the go-to guy for like all his classmates and our friends at the time. And I thought that was like a really fun thing to do on the side, help educate them, pick out their diamonds, create custom rings. From that, I realized that most people didn't know the first thing about buying a diamond. So I started the clear cut as just an educational blog for like our friends to read about before coming to work with me. I then started posting some of the designs on Instagram And that's where, you know, strangers started following the account. It was a lot easier to grow at that time. You could just post pretty things and people would follow you. And then they were DMing me asking if I could create their custom ring. So it turned into this like accidental side hustle that I never, you know, anticipated. Yeah, you know, so there, I have a lot of questions there. Going back to you going to GIA, you know, you mentioned, you know, even looking at your quote unquote resume, like you had all these fashion internships. So like you were saying, you wanted to get into print. There wasn't really an opportunity. You kind of default into what you knew of, what your family knew of, which is like going back and setting gems for your master's. 
Did you ever think that, you know, one day you might start a business or a side hustle of some sort? Because you said, you know, your parents, especially, you know, similar to me, I'm my parents are immigrants. It's always like, get that great job, make that great money. Don't take these risks that we did. But where did you kind of think your life was going to flourish to when you were in school? I never set out to be an entrepreneur or business owner. I was actually told my whole life by my parents not to do that, like to take a safe, like corporate job, like starting your own business was hard. Being an entrepreneur is unpredictable and it's just not what they ever wanted for me. So it's not something I ever wanted to do. It kind of just happened very organically. Like in my dream world, like when I was graduating school, I would have loved to work at like corporate at Tiffany or something like that. So fascinating. I love this because sometimes we think in order to be an entrepreneur, like you should have had lemonade stands when you're a kid. And it's like, there's so many different ways of starting a business, running a business, and it could look different. So I just love that you never thought it would be the case, but you kind of fell into this opportunity, which is so cool. So you mentioned, you know, your husband moved back. And it is a question that people ask whenever they get engaged, like, what guy do you know? How does it work? Like, we went through that same process here. And you were kind of leaning into what you knew of educating people. And you started this blog and you were early on Instagram. What were your intentions really at the time? Like, did you feel like you wanted to make a bigger impact outside of that full-time wholesale job? Like, what were your intentions at that time before you really knew it would be a business? I think I just found it as like an outlet, like a passion project. Like I found a lot of joy working with customers directly, educating people, seeing a product from start to finish. And that was just a way that I found fulfillment in my life and my career because like my everyday job was kind of repetitive. So it was a way for me to have like a hobby and something to do on the side. It was never intended to be much bigger. I was just like, as long as I can do this, like here and there for people and help people, it was like such an honor to be part of that process. Absolutely. I love that because I think, you know, sometimes a lot of people say like, if you have an idea for business, just go all in. And, you know, I actually did that, but I think there's a lot of layers there, but I always recommend people like, if you don't know what the right next step is, like just double down in your passion, do it on the side because it's so risky to go all in when you don't even know the potential of something. So I just love that you were doing this on the side with your full-time job because it was a pure passion. It allowed you to be creative. It allowed you probably to show up even better as an employee in your wholesale diamond job. So that's just, it's really cool for you to walk um, walk us through that. So I'm curious, at what point were you like, oh, I actually think I can make money on this and like it could maybe supplement the income or maybe you didn't think that way. But I'm just curious, how did you, or let me take a step back. Like what was a criteria for you to go all into this side hustle, side passion and leave your job? Yeah. So I'm a very risk adverse person. So it took a lot of time to think about Basically, what happened was I had left my wholesale job and started working as a gemologist at another startup. And this, my side hustle was picking up and I was running back and forth to the Diamond District before, after work, during my lunch breaks, like I was selling like hundreds of thousands of dollars of engagement rings just like on the side. And my husband, who was my husband at the time, he was graduating from business school and he was like, I think that there might be like some sort of white space in the market if there are so many people that are interested in you doing this without even knowing you, like sending you their life savings, like trusting you with this. So there's something there. And I was like, I don't really know, like, I don't really have a safety net. So we agreed. He was like, I'll go. And he had the business side of things. He was in business school. He had started a business before he like knew finance. I was more of the product marketing person. So I was like, the only way I'm going to quit our jobs and like go into this full time is if we get some sort of, I wanted to get into an accelerator that had like an investment. So we applied to Techstars and a few other accelerators, but that was the one we really wanted to get into. But I honestly, when I was like, yeah, if we get into Techstars, I will quit my job. I wholeheartedly thought like we were definitely not getting in because at that time we were not a tech company. (laughs) So... I said that and I was like, yeah, but then we applied and we ended up getting in, which ended up being like a whole drama because I was like, oh, wow, like I did promise like I would do this. (laughs) Like, oh, shit, it's happening. 
It's actually happening. So we found out like November 2017 that, that we were getting in for the January 2018 program. And so I decided to, you know, there was a time in our lives where we were like still really young. Like I was like, I can always get another job. Like if I would just forever regret it if I didn't try. So that's when we decided to go all in. That is awesome. So, you know, getting into Techstars as an accelerator. So I think they invested, what's the number? Usually like 100,000 or? They gave 120. 120. And you were kind of using that as your living expenses at the time to kind of prove out the concept. Okay. That's helpful to hear because it's important to kind of look at what your safety net is. Like for me, I saved money over the years of working corporate. I started my business a little bit later in life, or you can go your route, right? Where it's like an accelerator, you have a lump sum of money. I know you guys didn't even end up using so much of it because a business I believe was pretty profitable from day one or? Yeah. So we that was basically our safety net that was our operating expenses and obviously like our living too which you know we were very very frugal that first year but yeah we were lucky enough that you know we were pretty much profitable right off the bat so that but that gave me like the courage to like go in i like if without it i feel like i wouldn't have been able to take that step Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia, and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com, and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening, and now let's get back to today's episode. Totally, totally. And being profitable just like gives you peace of mind too. You knowing that you're making money on the business and you can use that cash flow for other things. So I think that's super helpful to hear. And you know, I'm curious. I know, you know, you were mentioning as you were growing up, your parents really discouraged you from going down the path of entrepreneurship, really getting into the jewelry business because they thought it was a dying industry from their perspective. And from my understanding, your husband, your boyfriend, I guess at the time, now husband's parents also kind of discouraged him to take the path. So how did you guys really take the leap having both sides of your family not really supporting you on this journey at that stage? Yeah, I think that we had a lot of conviction in what we were doing. And like I said, you know, if we didn't go and see it through, then I would have like probably always regretted it. So we were seeing it as, you know, we're going to try it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And we're okay with that. But we at least have to, you know, give it a fair shot. So that's how we kind of positioned it. And, you know, we didn't really ask them for anything. But you know, they did come around. So yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. When did they come around? I'm curious. <laughs> I think after the first year when it started, you know, proving the concept and they were like, okay, this is like an actual real thing. They know what they're doing. So yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I'm curious for people who are listening, who might not really know what an accelerator is. Can you kind of talk about your experience at Techstars and maybe some of the benefits of anyone who's listening, who might be interested in something like that? Yeah, it's not for everyone. I think for me, it was something I really needed because I, like I said, I never had a business background. I never like studied it. I never like started a business before. So basically, it's a three month intensive program where you're many like early stage companies are in a cohort, all different companies, and you kind of go through different stages where they'll be like, they'll match you up with like specific mentors and then they'll like, they'll be coaches for you to hit like goals in your growth. And then they'll also like introduce you to like potential investors. So it's kind of just like a startup like boot camp with, 
what and the best part is you're with other startup founders because like starting your own business can be very very lonely and isolating and hard and other people may not be able to relate to you no matter how good of friends they are or family so it is really important to have like that community like surrounding you and that support I love that. And you know, you were saying you didn't really have at that time the business acumen which was a big motivator of you going to Techstars. What would you say are maybe one of the two biggest key takeaways you had from that 3 months of just intensive boot camp and startup experience? I think like one of actually the main takeaways which is not something they, you know, really advertise or whatnot is like really believing in myself. I remember like the first day I was like the CEO, but I was afraid to speak. Like I couldn't do an elevator pitch. I was like shaking, terrified. And like, by the end, I really felt very comfortable and very, you know, confident in what we were building. Cause sometimes you go in and you question yourself, you have like imposter syndrome. You're like, I don't know if I should be here. Like, I actually don't know if my idea is a good idea. So I think like really finding the tools to have conviction in like what we were building and having like a lot more confidence out of it was one of the main takeaways. I love that. You don't hear that too often, like you said. So I'm curious, you know, it's interesting because I can imagine you at the time, you guys weren't a quote unquote a tech company, but you get into tech stars, which is a focus on tech companies. So how did you kind of get over that imposter syndrome? Was it you really refining the vision of the company? Was it you really showing up every day, having to put yourself out there where you got comfortable? Like, how did you get over all of that? You realize that everyone has their own imposter syndrome. So like we came in there at the time with no tech, but a lot of revenue and everyone else came in maybe pre-launch or with building their beta and zero revenue. And they felt like they weren't good enough. So I think it's really like having that perspective and really focusing on like your vision and things are step by step. You know, now we have like a proprietary like technology, like we have a lot, but I always had that vision, but there are a few steps that you have to take before you can get there. And everyone's path is different. Oh, I love this. And, you know, I was listening to, I think you and your husband in another podcast, and you were both were talking about how from the beginning, you guys were doing things in a quote unquote, like unscalable way. And now you have this proprietary tech platform a few years into the business. But let's talk about those early days and these quote unquote unscalable things, because I think sometimes people assume that once you have the tech ready and all these fancy things, like that's when you quote unquote make it, but it really doesn't start off that way. So maybe can you highlight a few things that you remember from those early days that you guys were doing and making money around, but were not scalable at the time? Yeah. And, you know, we still are, whenever we do things and launch them, do them very unscalably to understand like the pain points and what you want to build. I think it's really important to understand all of the problems and what you want to build before you actually build it. Cause like tech is expensive to build and you don't want to build something and then it not like fit the flow. So in the early days, we did everything, like I mentioned, very unscalably, like things like just through back and forth emails, through Instagram DMs, like, but we got very intimate with the process of creating a custom engagement ring virtually with remote clients. So I understood like what customers wanted, what the pain points were, what solutions I would want to build to make the process more scalable, easier for our gemologists. So by the time it came time for us to build the diamond portion, I knew exactly what it was going to look like. And when we implement new features now too, we do them extremely unscalably to understand what is the process we want to build and like what is the flow going to look like before we actually, you know, start doing it. Yeah. And I think that's important. Also, it shows that you were really hands-on with all of it. And I think it's important as a founder, right? Like it's not always glamorous and you have to be in the thick of it because it's your knowledge of those little details that allows you to maybe eventually hire somebody to join you on that journey and be like to build out the technology, which requires so much knowledge around that. So I just love how scrappy you were and how you guys were hustling on DMs and emails for well, how long would you say like a few years or when did you guys kind of switch over to the tech? So we started building it in, I think, March of 2020. So right before yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. So I guess you guys were live, what, 2018? So we, yeah, we launched the business officially 2018. Then the first year was literally just 
emails and DMs for engagement rings. The next year we launched our collection, which was like small capsule of fine jewelry. That's now one of like our fastest growing parts of our business. And then 2020 was when we decided to start building the tech. Incredible. And I'm curious, how did you guys, you know, you, you've created just so much awareness and it seems like things really took off even before it was quote unquote, a real business with your blog, you doing things on the side, people are like giving you their money via DMS, which I just find so fascinating and just such an incredible opportunity in front of you. What would you say are maybe a few levers that really helped you in those early days, kind of create the awareness and community that you guys have right now? Yeah, I think community has always been one of the most important things for our business. And of course, it starts on social media, but with education first. So we started as an educational blog and the content really translated to education on social media. And I think when what's interesting is that like the diamond industry is historically known for being a bit like opaque. And I would say like, previous generations would do the opposite. They would try to hold back or withhold a lot of information, um, which is why like maybe there's like some sort of like, I don't know, sketchy like idea about like diamond industry or whatnot. But so I knew like I was the consumer at the time and we are really comfortable not only purchasing things on the internet, but having a lot of information on our fingertips. But I think what we provided beyond just like tons of information is information from an expert, someone that like is just like you, I could be your friend giving you like the real tea and like the real advice. And I think that built a lot of trust with our early clients and still our clients today that they're like, hey, like, I trust this person, they're giving me advice, they're giving me all the information, like I want you to be an expert by the time it's time for you to purchase so you can feel really empowered in whatever decision you make, because it's going to be a big purchase. And you know, education in whatever industry you're in, right? For example, even for me, I'm in the wellness industry and there's so much education also involved with my product that we launch, but it's not something that you educate and it's a sale. It's a very long-term game of really understanding, at least for us, it's like, why is it important to support your hormones? What are other things you could do to support your hormones? Just for example. But I would think even for you guys, especially because jewelry is such a big purchase and there is even so much education. So when did you start really seeing that all your efforts in doing the blog, doing the educational content were really hitting with customers? Was it pretty early on or did it take some time to build that trust? I think it was pretty early on that we saw people were really gravitating towards like the in educational content we were creating and like asking for more and more. So like you mentioned, it's like a long term like kind of relationship with the community. And it, it's kind of give and take, you're not just giving information like we have a relationship with our followers and our community where like they ask us like this, these are things I'd love to see in the new collection. And we like take that information, create it and design it. So it is like a back and forth and a real relationship that I think is the key to like our growth and success. I love that. And the fact that you are also putting your face out there so they trust and they see like who's actually behind the business, right? And they build that relationship with you, which at least for brands that I purchase from, like I love to see the founders involved and know who I'm doing business with. So that is really awesome. So I'm curious, you know, you guys are on so many different platforms. How do you think about, I don't know, would you say like the top two platforms you guys perform on is Instagram and TikTok right now? Or how do you think about it? Those are the two platforms I dedicate like most of my time to. Um, Pinterest is big too, but obviously for like engagement rings and bridal, but I dedicate most of my time to Instagram and TikTok. So how do you think about that? I feel like you are, you know, such an expert when it comes to social media. So when you look at Instagram versus TikTok, what are maybe some of the key learnings that you have when it comes to producing content for each one of those platforms? So it's evolved over time. I would say right now I'm really focused on creating like more short form like video education. So like more TikTok format because now Instagram is really promoting reels. So it's also great if you can use both, use one piece of content for both platforms. I don't like to have everything exactly the same because I want some things for some people that follow us on just TikTok or just Instagram, or if you follow us on both platforms to have some nuance, I would say for TikTok, we are able to be a little bit more raw, maybe like a little cheekier, funnier, you have more bandwidth there, um, especially because 
the way TikTok's algorithm is, it's not mainly just going to your followers, like you're really going on like the for you page. So it's going to hit people that may not follow you that are interested in that content, and they may not even know who you are at all. Whereas with Instagram, I feel like it's more of like a community that really knows the brand and knows me personally. They're a little like nicer sometimes. <laughs> so I think like for me, Instagram is more like highlighting like our couples, more like straight up like diamond education, sometimes like a funny thing here or there. TikTok, I'm posting a lot more frequently too, because I feel like you need to do that at least like one to two times, two times, like ideally a day. Instagram, I do about one time a day. And then obviously stories you have to keep up with, which is just like a peek behind like the curtain. So it's really understanding like the audience of both and who is getting your content. You know, if someone's listening, they're like, Olivia, how are you doing all this as a CEO of the business? Then you're talking about stories and content for Instagram and then TikTok and you're doing Pinterest. Like, how do you schedule your content within the company? Because I'm sure you're quite busy, you know, doing non-content related things too. It's something I like literally struggle with every single day. So I built the tech and we have a team. And I think what I've done is actually offloaded a lot of my other responsibilities to our amazing gemologist team. So I could focus more on content creation and having like a pulse with our community. So I do schedule time in my calendar every single day to film and post content every single day. I do have like a content calendar, but I am someone who will veer off of it. And I'm very guilty of it because I'll just be like, Oh, I saw you have to also be like on these platforms to understand like the trends or like what's hitting or what you're seeing. So I would be like, Oh my God, I saw this. I'm so inspired. I need to do this like right now and just have that like feeling and go like off the calendar. But it's good to have, you know, some sort of structure, like every single day, I know I'm going to film or post at, at this time or whatnot and have like every like Wednesday, I know I'm going to do, you know, Wednesday Q&A on stories every Friday, I know I'm going to post clear cut classrooms. And every third day, I'm going to post a clear cut couple. So there are good things to have like some structure, but like have some creativity within it too. So you can just be like inspired. I love that. And I think that's a good point. Like having some structure because we also do a ton of content and people are always like, how are you managing all this? But I think if you have kind of a lay of the land of like, all right, Mondays, we want to focus on this Tuesdays, it makes it a little bit more approachable. But to your point, those impromptu trends or things that you're inspired by, like I'll see something and be like, oh, that's actually really fun. And I can like, I'm excited to do it. Because I think also doing content, if you're not excited about it, it's really hard if you want to maintain like that high output, which it seems like you are. So are you focusing on things that bring you joy? And how do you think about that? Yeah, I think the best content are things that bring you joy or things that you would want to see. Like as a consumer, that's how I always think about it. Like, would I be interested if I was on TikTok? Like, would I stop? Uh, we always say we want thumb stopping content. So would I stop and like watch this video or would I scroll past it? And sometimes when you're kind of forced to make content that you're not inspired by, like I know it's not going to hit. I'm just going to like post it because I have to post it. And like it usually doesn't do well or sometimes it like will surprise you. Who knows? <laughs> but I think when you're like really inspired, it like does translate. Yeah, for sure. And people can see it in the content too. But you know, sometimes it still doesn't hit. And it's still like a good learning opportunity, right? It's like, you still put it out there. I think we did a few reels. And someone was like, should we archive them? I'm like, this is real, like, keep it up. That's like who we are. And not everything that we do is going to hit. And it's okay. Like, it's a learning experience for us. So it's totally fine. What would you say are maybe some of the biggest mistakes that you see other, I don't know if it's other brands or maybe it could be friends of yours who have businesses that they're doing with their overall social media strategy? One thing that, you know, I don't know if it's wrong or not, but something that I've just decided not to do is like outsourcing the content. I feel like, you know, it is a lot easier to like hire a professional to do it, but I feel like then it feels, you know, not as authentic to the brand and it feels like it's something outsourced. So I would be careful with like outsourcing too much of your content. That's also the pulse that you have on like your community and end customer. So I think it's important to be close to that. But I do know, obviously, a lot of people will outsource it because it is a ton of work. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, we do it all in-house too. And 
I also feel like one of the benefits, and listen, companies have done it where they've outsourced it and it's worked for them. So it, of course, it depends on what feels right to you. Mm-hmm. But if it's internal, I feel like they also know your brand, your voice, like they just kind of get it. They know your customers. So I completely agree with that. And, you know, one thing that I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, now you guys, how big is your team now? We're about 15. 15 people. What would you say is maybe the biggest learnings you have kind of now, you know, now being a leader of a 15 person team? Because it's so different, right? In the early days, like you're doing the outreach, you're talking to the customer, you're doing the customer service, you're doing all the content, you're still pretty heavily involved with the content. But it's always so tough to go to like the next layer and have other people take those off because there's a lot of trust you have to give them, right? When they're dealing with this community that you care so much about. So Mm -hmm. maybe what has been some of the surprising things kind of now growing into this leader and CEO of a much larger business? Yeah, I feel like um, with every stage there, it's difficult for different reasons. Like obviously at first it was really difficult because we had to do everything ourselves very scrappy. But with that, we had a ton of control, which is a difference that, like you said, I have to give trust that like, our team is doing like what I would do with our clients or, you know, doing the right thing or representing the company properly. Um, Also, like managing people is honestly extremely difficult. Everyone has like, their own personalities, their own like goals, their own emotions, which is when you're early stage, and you're just like the one like heads down, like grinding and building is actually easier because you just have to like manage yourself instead of all these other people that you have to like read their minds and like also motivate them to have like the same like drive, ambition and like goal as you do. You know, that's so fascinating. And it's true. And I know this is like, you just said it so well in the beginning when it's all on you, you're just kind of focusing on your mental health. Like, how do I just make it through the day? How do I make sure I'm excited? How to self-motivate yourself? And then, you know, for example, we're very small. We have two and a half people, right? Like about three people under me. But even that for me is like a big learning opportunity because it's like not only am I trying to make sure that I'm everyday motivated and, and you know, pushing forward on goals and motivating everybody. But like you said, you also have to tap into everybody else and see how are they doing? How's their mental health? It's a whole other ball game. So do you work with a coach? Are there any books that you've read? Or is it just like, one-on-one experience of you kind of going through the process of managing, you know, your team that you feel like you're slowly getting better at it? I feel like I'm, uh, it's one-on-one. I feel like I'm slowly getting better at it. We have, what I realize is communication is like key. So I have a weekly check-in with every single one of our team members just to like touch base. They're able to like talk to me, even if, you know, like they may be like intimidated during those times. Like, that is an opportunity that's like an open door, like, to just make sure like we are on the same page, or like, I can help however I can. So that's been something, you know, obviously, with a team this size is manageable, if we get much bigger, that's probably not going to be as manageable. We have daily all hands meetings just to like, get everyone on the same page. So I think like, the more communication and open dialogue you have, and that you can create like a safe space, that's like the goal, at least for what I'm for the team size that I have right now. (laughs) Totally. And that really starts from like the top down. So if you're exuding it with your husband and like really cultivating that culture, it's possible to kind of create that safe space, at least from what I've realized working at companies that didn't do that well and working for other people that did do it well. So I'm sure you guys are doing a great job there. You know, I kind of want to go back to one thing you mentioned. I know you guys raise money through being part of Techstars and that accelerator how have you thought about fundraising ever since? Have you guys raised from any other individuals or VC firms? So right after Techstars, like about six months later, we did raise a small round. It was like under a million dollars. And it, it, you would say it was like a friends and family round, but it wasn't any family. It was just like angel investors, like some classmates of Kyle's from business school, like we like just anyone. So that was like kind of like our pre-seed funding. But ever since then, we haven't raised again. So we don't really plan on it unless we had like something really special we, you know, needed money for. 
And I'm curious, maybe you can dig a little bit deeper there because I feel like there's a lot of people that do raise money, more money earlier on. So you just mentioned we're not planning on raising any money unless maybe there is a big initiative that requires a lot. So there's people that raise money that don't have these larger initiatives. So why don't you guys raise money? I think it's important to kind of maybe if you can walk through that a bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was actually extremely difficult for us to raise money from institutional capital. Like we just, we wanted to, but it just didn't happen. And it was kind of a blessing in disguise because we have like full control of our business. um, And we're able to, you know, just do whatever we want without uh, slowing down or needing permission. So that has been a blessing of not taking institutional capital. The reason why I don't plan on raising more money unless like there's a specific reason to is because I would like to maintain the control and vision like of the business. Because a lot of times like if you do raise money from institutional capital, there are people on your board and they're never going to be as intimate with your business as you are. And they may not have the same vision or like goals in the end as you do. I also really wanted to maintain, you know, more ownership in the company and not give that away unless it was like for something, you know, really special or specific that I think would help us achieve like our long-term goals. I love that. And I think that's important to talk about. I was meeting with a friend the other day and she has now a pretty massive business. And she was like, it was such a blessing that nobody invested in me because now I have full control and she's killing it. You know, she's like has a massive team. And I'm like, that is just really amazing. But yeah, you can grow businesses in different ways. But if you want to have more control, like you said, and it might not be as quick of a growth than if you raise money, right? But it's kind of, yeah, go ahead. And I think like, that's also kind of a blessing in disguise. Like if we had raised more money, we would have like built our tech a lot quicker, like done things a lot faster. Maybe our growth would have accelerated quicker. But I wouldn't have like learned as much about the business and the nitty gritty And now we are like super lean, like we were always really scrappy because we had to be. And I think I know the business a lot more intimately than if I had just like a ton of money at my disposal. And because like you could just like, you know, a lot of businesses threw lots of money on like Instagram or Facebook ads, but then like iOS like hit and then they're like, what do we do? We weren't affected by that because we weren't relying on that because we never had a huge budget for, you know, online marketing. So it's going to be more of a grind and it's a more painful growth. But I think long term, like if you want to have grow your business long term, you do understand it better. Absolutely. And it's funny. I mean, this is, again, my own perspective. We're growing through, you know, we're self-funded and everything. And I'm like, I can't imagine. I mean, it's. I definitely see the benefits of raising money because like you said, sometimes you can hire faster, build that tech. But I was like, there's I can't even imagine doing everything I'm doing 10 times as fast because I'm it's like so important for me to learn. I would probably lose my mind if I had like crazy growth metrics and I personally worked and we're not a tech company per se, but I worked at a tech company. We raised money and the expectations were so intense. So that was like a good learning experience for me. And listen, they ended up selling and doing well, but it was a lot of pressure kind of even being the number five person and it wasn't even my company. So I know at least for me, I'm like, there's already a lot for me to manage and we're self-funded and we're growing. I can't even imagine like raising money and taking it to the moon. But like you said, like you never know when that opportunity is right, right? Maybe you might meet someone who could really accelerate your business that you feel like is the right fit. Like I'm totally open to that or the right partner, you know, so like never say never, but it just has to be like the right time and relationship for you. And we've had so many women on the podcast say like, when you're going and raising money from people, like you also ask them questions, like you're giving them the opportunity to bring them in your business. It's not like begging people for money. So, you know, the reframing there is also super, super fascinating. You know, I'm also curious, Olivia, I'm sure there's a lot of moments in your business over the past few years, but has there been maybe, or maybe even like, let's say the last six months, if it makes it easier for you to answer, what would you say is maybe one of the most challenging times that you've had, whether it's personally going through something with the business or professionally, like anything you kind of can talk about, because I always feel like the theme is you think it's so crucial at the time, but it, life, it always ends up working out. So is there anything that kind of comes to mind over the past year or six months at ClearCut? Um, my moment that like comes to mind was a little earlier. It was during COVID, I would say. 
So we had like been growing like crazy. We had just decided to spend all this money building technology. And then it was like March 2020 that everything like shut down and we make all of our jewelry in New York. So we like couldn't go into the office. We couldn't like make anything. We had to cancel orders. I was like sneaking in, like bribing the doorman to like ship out like the packages of like the pieces that we had ready. Like it was just insane. That was a really low point because I was like, oh my God, I had like just proven that I could do this and like risked all this, like, like my career and time and whatever. And it's just starting to take off. And I just hired some people and what's going to happen? Like, are we going to be able to do this or not? So that was really, really tough. And we did like, obviously the best we could. And it ended up being like a huge blessing in disguise because COVID was amazing for diamond jewelry sales. Everyone was stuck at home with their significant other. And a few months later, we were doing like record breaking sales. Yeah. So it was that was a time that I always have to think back on, like, I was so low, and so like discouraged. And just a few months later, like, we were doing amazing. So whenever you're feeling like down, or you feel like it's not working out, you know, you never know what's happening next. Yeah. Oh, and just I think keep, just keep grinding. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, I can't even imagine that during COVID, you guys like invested money in the technology, you hired people like it's so different when you're responsible for somebody else's livelihood. If it's just you and your husband, it still would be tough, but it's like a whole nother layer when you're affecting other people and their families' lives. So I can't imagine that pressure you were feeling when business was essentially like paused for you during those first, I guess, couple months of COVID. So I'm curious, you know, especially in entrepreneurship, and you mentioned this earlier in the interview, sometimes starting a business, leading a business can feel really lonely, right? We all have these lows and it's all relative to kind of what you're going through. Is there anything that you do maybe on a day-to-day basis that kind of helps you keep your emotional resiliency up and allows you to kind of stay sane as this business continues to grow and the responsibilities continue to grow? I think there are a few things. I mean, one is I am actually very lucky that I get to build this like with my husband. Like, obviously, that sounds like a nightmare for a lot of people. (laughs) Um, But we are a really great team. And because it is lonely, it's really amazing to have someone there like all the time that understands exactly where I'm at, like has the same like, stress and like, problems that like just can understand me. So that's one really great thing to have that sounding board. I also like for at least wellness and mental health, I like to journal every day and like set just like personal like goals for myself when I wake up and like reflect before I go to bed that kind of keeps me personally on track. And also like just moving my body like exercising like getting just that after a really stressful day, like working out really like gives me a release and like makes me relax. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's, you know, it's funny. I got in all the wellness stuff in place in terms of like managing my sleep, making sure I'm having three meals a day. Like all that actually has helped me immensely in terms of like making sure I can manage the stress and still show up as my best self. But the movement piece has been something that I kind of go through phases like, it'll be a busy week, I'm traveling, I'm doing stuff, and I'm completely not working out. And then I come back in my routine. And every time I work out, I'm like, gosh, my brain just like lights up. And you just, I don't know, it's like the dopamine effect, like you just feel so much better, you know, so it's just the movement piece, I feel like it's important. It helps me sleep and sleep is so important. So I'm like, sleep is key. If I don't get like a good night's sleep, my day is like ruined. Same. My husband's like staying far from me. Yeah. Sleep for me is super, super key. So I love that. And yeah, I mean, the last question I have for you, you know, it seems like you guys have a network of people in your world from maybe the angels you invested from, but do you guys have any advisors, whether they're formally or informally, or maybe communities that you're a part of that have been helpful for every stage in the business from even the very early days? I think like from the very early days, like we're still like in touch with like our MD from Techstars. Also, we are still really close with a lot of the other founders from like our cohort some of our, you know, investors are also advisors to us. 
And also, you know, other D2C founders like in the community that I've met over time have been really great people that I always ask for advice, good sounding boards, like they also understand kind of like the struggles that everyone goes through and, you know, share that commonality. So I think other, it's always really refreshing when you get to meet up with other founders and kind of like vent because everyone, no matter what your business has like similar problems. And you're like, Oh my God, I thought it was just me with all these problems. But actually, it just makes you feel like great to, you know, have that sense of community with other founders. It's so true. And you said something that really hit the nail on the head. Like sometimes you just want to vent, right? Because sometimes you're like, you can't share certain things with employees and you're just like, no one understands what I'm going through and like all the decisions. And you know, there's only so much you can share. It's great. You have your husband and me and my husband, we don't work together, but he completely gets it, which I feel fortunate of. But when you meet with other founders and you realize, oh, you're not the only one, you just feel very seen and it's very therapeutic. So I love that you've kind of built that community around you because I think it's just having someone you can vent to is just really, really crucial. So Olivia, I want to end on maybe a one last question. There's so much that you guys are up to. You know, What's next for ClearCut? What is getting you excited about maybe a few things that you have on the pipeline? Yeah. So, I mean, our goal is to always grow, continue to be, you know, this generation's jeweler for life. However, we can support our customers in the next stage of their life and be there for them. A few initiatives that we just launched, we just launched a new lab grown travel ring program. So now any of our customers who've purchased a natural diamond engagement ring with us from 10K and up can get a free lab-grown diamond travel ring. But we launched our rental program for our clear cup rides. So now if you have a clear-cut engagement ring or wedding bands, you can rent any piece from our collection for your big day or any occasion. And we're expanding our loyalty program too. So that's something that we'll be announcing. And in the spring, the next couple of weeks, we'll be launching new wedding bands in our new spring-summer collection, which I'm really excited about. How fun. I love all these initiatives because I think it just shows your emphasis on community and doing different things to build that loyalty with customers, right? Like the travel program. I mean, that is so fascinating because I never wear my ring or anything. And every time I see people, it's like, why are you traveling with your diamonds? But I love the uniqueness and it just shows your emphasis on like, how do you continue to add value and be unique with the people who are already part of the family? So that's really awesome. But no, Olivia, this was so much fun. I'm so inspired by everything you guys are building. Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.